Hey there, this is Jay from Filmstrip dropping in to let you know you're about to hear a classic episode from our archives. Some of these shows were produced before we called the show Filmstrip Podcast, before we used popcorn ratings, uh, had the standard intro song from Frozen Lake 121, or really even knew what we were doing recording and editing the show. However, there's a lot of fun in them, and we hope you enjoy. Just wanted to let you know in case you noticed the differences. Now, on to the show. Continuous Plays Batman series featuring Jay Newcastle and Anna McCoy. You weigh a little more than 108. Oh, really? Let's go. In these spoiler-filled episodes, we will discuss the plots, dissect the themes, and offer our recommendations for your viewing. Continuous Play and Continuous Play podcasts are not affiliated with any movie, television, book, music, or publishing-related company. All properties are copyright and trademark of their respective owners. Any discussion of the characters, plots, or music from the films is strictly for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. Welcome to Continuous Play's Batman Franchise Retrospective. We're in Episode 4 of our series, Batman and Robin. I'm Jay. And I'm Anna. And we are glad you have joined us. And folks, we're here to talk about the sequel to the 1995 film, Batman Forever, Again, directed by Joel Schumacher, Batman and Robin stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, George Clooney, Chris O'Donnell, Uma Thurman, and Alicia Silverstone. Made for $140 million, released just two years after Batman Forever. It grossed 238 worldwide, but anybody who's a fan of the franchise will tell you this is the one that killed the modern iteration of Batman on the silver screen. I don't think you have to be a fan of the franchise to understand that either. I think if you absolutely know nothing about Batman or don't even like Batman, you'd be like, oh, yeah, this killed the franchise. Yeah, and the stars have even come out and said that in recent years. So, you know, they'll tell you about it, too. Let's get let's get through the plot here real quick. Give me the plot overview, and then Anna and I will get into the specifics of what went wrong in Batman and Robin? Because we'll go ahead and spoil the ending for you now, folks. We're not going to give you much of a recommendation on seeing this one. So that, that should be clear from the get-go. Uh, we try to enter these things as positive as possible, but sometimes you just can't do anything with it. So here's the story of Batman and Robin as it's told in this film. In Gotham City, Batman and Robin attempt to stop... Mr. Freeze from a robbery attempt. Mr. Freeze, of course, is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. He is a doctor who was dropped into a cryogenic freeze vat that he was working on. It changed his molecular structure. Anyway, he has to stay below freezing temperatures at all times. And he's bent on freezing the entire world, starting with Gotham City and also stealing diamonds, which serves two purposes. It fuels his fuel cells that keep him frozen. It also allows him to do research on a mysterious disease. That has afflicted his wife. She's actually in stage two, so he's frozen her as well. We also find out later it's got Alfred in stage one, so he's working on something akin to, like, cancer, basically. Um, He's the evil that uh, Batman and Robin are trying to fight, and, of course, while they do that, Batman and Robin are also fighting each other because... Unlike we thought at the last, at the end of Batman Forever, they have not learned to work well together as a team. They are definitely having some Donovan McNabb, Terrell Owens moments here. They are back and forth with each other. It's a lot of bickering. There's problems in the Bat team. 
On a side note, in South America, doing some interesting research with some uh, drugs and animals and critters and plants, there's a woman, Pamela Isley, who is working under the uh, direction of another doctor and also Wayne Enterprises, working on a super drug from natural extraction from plants and animals. She doesn't know what she's working on, and when she finds out, she's furious because she's a big eco-friendly person. She's like the original eco-terrorist, apparently. The doctor she's working with turns a lot of chemicals over on her, and arising from that is the evil villain Poison Ivy, who has an alluring pheromone that attracts men, but also has poison on her lips, so she kills everybody she uh, kisses. She decides she's going to take it out on Wayne Enterprises, goes back to Gotham to seek such retribution. She confronts uh, Bruce Wayne. Of course, he blows her off because he doesn't know what her deal is. Somehow or another along the way, she learns that he is Batman 2. We're never really told why. doesn't matter because the plot at this point is completely out the window. Arriving from England without a British accent is Barbara. Um, Alfred's niece, played by Alicia Silverstone, who is a computer whiz, rides motorcycles at night in drag races, and also has some awesome kung fu moves that we get to see later on. Batman and Robin fight for the attention of Poison Ivy, who's apparently the most alluring woman in the world for a chemical reason, not because of the way she looks. Not that Uma Thurman looks bad. Batman figures this out. He tries to get his partner Robin Dick Grayson to you know, come off the pheromone. He won't do it. They have more fights. Ultimately, they get trapped by Poison Ivy. Barbara has to come in as Batgirl and save them. She kicks Poison Ivy into a large man-eating flower who devours her. Then the three super friends decide to work together. They go take out Mr. Freeze who was captured earlier and put in jail, but Poison Ivy breaks him out. They capture him, and he's already frozen the city of Gotham, but using some interesting satellite technology, they're able to unfreeze Gotham, weaken him, and Batman offers him a deal instead of killing him or just turning him over to the police. Let him, you know, I'm going to help you fund your research so you can cure your wife and also cure my butler friend. And as we find out there, Mr. Freeze already has the cure for stage one. He just needs more time to get to stage two so he can cure his wife and other people. He gives Batman the cure. Alfred is cured. We send Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze to Arkham Asylum where, conveniently enough, they are cellmates. And he's going to take some revenge on her because he learns she tried to kill his wife. And in the end, Batgirl, Robin, and Batman all run out in front of the symbol to the triumphant music to go fight some more goofy crime in the city of Gotham. And that is the plot summary for Batman and Robin. Good God. <laughs> yes, yeah, pretty thick. We got a lot going on in this one. But, you know, Anna, you said in the last podcast we talked about Batman Forever, you felt like character development was on speed dial. Uh-huh. It's not even on speed dial. It's on text message now. It, yeah. it doesn't even happen. And I want to say this here. For a film that was supposed to reach the broadest audience... That's what the purpose was. They turned this thing around fast on Schumacher and said, we want it out in 97. The other film was in 95. That meant at that time they had to turn around and start shooting that fall to get it done, to get all the post-production done, all the graphics and all that stuff. It's the biggest reason Val Kilmer did not come back, contrary to popular belief. He already had other film commitments, couldn't turn around and do another Batman film, so they go and get Clooney to do it. They just skip character development. If you didn't see anything before Batman Forever, you were probably okay. If you didn't see anything before this one, you had no idea what was going on and probably got up and walked out of the theater. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, I'm trying to remember, but I thought a friend of mine who saw this, 
back in 97 was like, this is the stupidest movie ever and got up and walked out of the theater. And I do know of someone I worked with at the time when I was in high school and he took his girlfriend to see it and he fell asleep. Wow. I do know. I do know that. It's easy to do, though, because it's so convoluted and so silly this time that there was there was nowhere else to go. If you know, Anna, you said you thought they had nowhere else to go with it after Batman Forever. They should have wrapped it up and done something else. Mm-hmm. That, boy, they brought in real characters now. Poison Ivy and Mister Freeze are are real villains from the Batman world. But even in the comic world, they're considered some of the more throwaway kind of stupid villains, and they don't translate well here. Not to mention how they're played by their respective actors. Uma Thurman and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Arnold. Uh, uh-uh. that that every time he's on the screen, it's just painful. And I'm sorry, giving Arnold Schwarzenegger bad dialogue is like shooting yourself with two bullets. I mean, I mean, it's horrible. He's not good at good dialogue, but he's not. He's he's horrible at it. It borders on just complete stupidity all, all the way from the way it looks to the way the actors work through it. I, you know, let's talk about the look of it here. We kind of started with that one the last time. This is more of the same stuff that Joel Schumacher had in Batman Forever, except this time I felt like the lighting was worse. Everything seemed to be in reds or these deep blues, which I guess are Poison Ivy and Freeze's colors, so that's what we're going to get now. But we had reds and blues and then black when Batman was around, and it just it just had this weird tint to it. I felt like I was watching this movie that was filmed at a disco or at a uh, that was filmed at a roller rink or something. It's funny you should say that because I actually was watching part of this and my four year old was watching it with me. And number one, she kept asking me all the time, "Now what does he do again? Why is he like this?" And finally, I just got to a point. I was like, "You know what? That's a good question, and I don't have an answer for it." And then, she, but she kept asking. Like, why is he wearing red? Why is he wearing blue? So, I, I mean, and she, but she wanted to watch more of this movie, so I guess that should tell you something if a four-year-old wants to watch more of it. Well, she's probably the only one that could have understood it. That's, that's the key. She probably was. I, was. I was about like, maybe I should let her watch the whole thing, and then she could do plot something. <laughs> she, she probably would have would have done it better than I did. It's just all around it. It's bad. The colors are bad. The art, there's nothing good. At least in the other three, we've had something good to say about the art direction. There's not really anything good about the art direction. There's, there's not. And, and it's, it just all, it all feels like a big set. And, you know, I said that about Batman Returns sometimes. It felt like a really weird set, you know? Batman Forever, I I realize it's a set, okay, it's a movie, but I never got lost and caught up in the set. I kind of liked the, the way it looked. This one, it's, it's just a lot of weird indoor sets. It looks like they just redressed some of the sets they had had from Batman Forever, too. And, and, and truth be told, they probably did, considering the turnaround on this thing. Let's talk about our, our villains specifically here for a minute before we get to our super friends. I want to talk about Poison Ivy. So let me get this straight. Her whole thing is she wants to bring about more global awareness and global warming and take care of the plants and things like that. And when she realizes her research is basically being used or misused by the director in charge of this research for like a weapon that basically makes criminally insane people big, buff, and more criminally insane, Uh she gets ticked at him and he kills her for it. Then she comes back as this evil mother nature type creature 
and sets the lab on fire in a rainforest, mind you, sets a fire and then wants to go and attack Wayne Enterprises. Is that what we got here? Is that what we're doing? Because that is stupid. Which brings me back to my four-year-old was watching that part. It kept going, why? It, like the part with Bane where he get where he puts venom and steroids in on in on, and it's a good question. Why? What is the point of the of making these criminally insane people? What's the point of putting criminally insane people on steroids? What is the point? What does that accomplish in an evil diabolical plan? You, you can create you can create better henchmen, maybe. Yeah, but how many henchmen do you need in the world? Apparently a lot, because Batman will take a few out. We we've noticed that. You know, we didn't really comment on that in the last one. Batman's still not done with killing people. I mean, he does electrocute a few people and tie a few people up in, in Batman Forever, but he still blows up a few too. Batman's not above killing some henchmen, so maybe maybe that's it. I don't know. I don't know, but he, doesn't he have like heads of state and military people for different countries, like seeing this experiment? Okay, let me tell you how I've resolved it in my head. And it actually okay. goes it actually goes to something Batman says. They're going out in the first big run in the Batmobile and and the the Robin motorcycle and Robin goes, "I want a car." Chicks dig the car and Batman goes, "This is why Superman works alone." And I said, "Aha, with that line, they have now incorporated every other superhero film in the world into this world. Those people also exist, so they've got to be evil people going against them." So I always took it as this doctor is trying to fund the other evil gangs in Metropolis and New York City oh. where Peter Parker lives and, and some of those places. Now, that is the fanboy exam that is the last fanboy service I'm gonna give this movie, okay? Because I'll give it that, but I still say Poison Ivy's whole thing is stupid. Uh, this is not her true origin story, okay? That's it. she does an experiment that causes a transformation. Yes, that's loosely what they're trying to tell you here. That's not where she comes from, and they've given her a different motive. I, for this time, we've got the two supervillains going against the two superheroes, and I have no idea why. But these aren't, like you said, in the comic book, they're like throwaway characters. These aren't super villains. This isn't the Joker. This isn't the Riddler. This isn't Catwoman. All the super villains have, for lack of a better term, been used already. This is the best they got. Yeah, it, it's definitely there. They, there's still a couple up there. There's still the Scarecrow. Um, there are a couple others they could have gone with, but they didn't. So, you know, there were a lot of different drafts for this. They had to go with it kind of fast. We, we've talked about Uma Thurman. What do you think of Uma Thurman, though, as Poison Ivy? Now, I will say this. I think she knew she was in a cartoon, and uh -huh. she played a cartoon villain, and I, I kind of got a chuckle off of her. Oh, I liked Uma Thurman. I thought she was the best thing in this movie. She might be. I, I'll say this. She's not Jim Carrey in no. forever. But no, let me take that back. Elle McPherson is the best thing in this movie because she never had to talk. Yeah. I thought Uma Thurman knew what kind of movie she was in and just went with it. And it worked from time to time. She's okay. I mean, clearly, she's alluring. She can play that that role and can put on that sassy voice and, and try to allure Chris O'Donnell. George Clooney, maybe. I don't know. But, but, you know, you would see why Chris O'Donnell would be enamored with somebody like that um, as Dick Grayson and Robin. But 
it's just, I don't know. She was a little uneven. Now, we've already said we both think Schwarzenegger was, was awful in this. He's, he's not good when you give him exposition. They don't really give him exposition. That's not fair to the script. The script is nothing but one-liners backward and forward. That's all this mm-hmm. is. And they gave him the worst. And now I know it's Schwarzenegger's thing to have a line in a movie and to have puns and all that. And you know what? It works in some of those other movies. But, I mean, he was in True Lies. I love True Lies. Yeah. And he had, like, a bunch of one-liners and stuff, and he did he did a really good job. I love him in, in True Lies if he has something to work with. He had nothing with this. Yeah, there's, there's nothing about this that I feel like, and not knowing the whole story, I feel like there was a script that they said, we got to go with it, and they just wrote the dialogue as they shot the scenes. Or worse yet, they turned the actors loose and just told them to go with it. I, it and this bad. is not a set of actors. I think you could have done that, like you said, with Jim Carrey. You think they turned him loose quite often in Batman Forever. Yeah. I think Val Kilmer is a good enough actor. He could have pulled something off in Tommy Lee Jones, too. This set of actors, they had star power. They weren't that good. Yeah, Michael Keaton and and Danny DeVito could have could have done that. Oh yeah, you know could have totally done that in this. Yeah, I agree. That look, they they could have done something with this, but or could have done something. Nobody could have done anything with this. And Schwarzenegger surely couldn't have. He was terrible in this. He looked like a cross between the Terminator, RoboCop, a frozen popsicle. A couple of wrestlers I used to watch back in the 90s and every stupid video game you could dream up. I mean, he looked, it just looked ridiculous. It was just, it's just silly. He's just silly on the screen. He kind of looks like a really bad version of that blue guy from Watchmen. That's a good one. There, he looks like a a big Manhattan. Sands, he's actually wearing clothes this time. That's the difference. But yeah, and I wonder if that's art direction wise, that's where they're going. I, um, yeah, Watchmen had been out at this point, so yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know where he was coming from. I don't know. I think I read somewhere they paid him twenty five million dollars to be in this movie. Um, yeah, that's. That's insane. Uh, well, oh, but, but you know what, though? At the time, Schwarzenegger in your movie meant you were making $100 million. In, you were spending that on the movie, and you were going to make 200 on it because everything he was doing was big. Now, he had just come off a racer, which wasn't as big a hit, but was still a decent film. It was a cheesy 90s action film, but he's still in that mode. This is before – this really starts the slide. Where he, yeah. he can't be that superhero anymore. He looks tired and old at parts of this. But if you look at the time frame, like I said, in and tr- he did True Lies in I think '95. Yeah. And that's when they started filming this one because they were trying to get the quick turnaround after Batman Forever. So yeah, Eraser came out in what '96, and it wasn't might not have been that big a hit, but he's signing up for this movie right after True Lies, which was a good hit and which was a good movie. Yeah, True Lies was '94. Eraser was 96, and then this thing was 97. So you're right. He shot all these at the same time. They were right in the same time frame. So he's a, a star, but he's so bad in this. And and he's bad on a on a whole nother level of bad uh-huh. in this movie. He he really is. But the other thing with Schwarzenegger, you got you he can pull he's actually not that bad of a comedic actor. He's really not that bad. He's decent. He he plays 
Rudolph is, you know, he kind of makes fun of himself and stuff in a lot of the movies he does. And he's he kind of plays off the dumb Mr. Universe kind of thing and the dumb kind of jock kind of thing. But he's he's not that bad of a comedic actor. But he, he, this has no comedy. This doesn't have the Batman forever where, where we've got kind of the eccentric Batman or the funny Batman with the quips and stuff. This, this, the dialogue's flat and it, I think it, I don't know if the dialogue reflects on the actors or the actors reflect on the dialogue. I don't know which way you would think it would go. That's a good point. I don't know why there's comedy even in this film. I, I think you can have funny lines, Jim Carrey, in, in Batman Forever, but you you don't have to have a comedy subplot. I, there is a comedy subplot here, too. you got Mr. Freeze teaching his henchmen in the cold how to sing Christmas songs. Yeah. I, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know why we even had to have comedy in this movie. I don't know that it, it, it served any purpose at all. We got to talk about the Super Friends here for a minute too. And they plug in George Clooney, who at the time had achieved stardom playing Dr. Doug on ER. And he was still on ER when this film was being made. This is now a man in our in present day we're talking about in 2010 here, well-respected mogul in Hollywood. We're talking about an Academy Award winner here. Not not to mention the many times he's been nominated to. All right? George Clooney is brought in to play Batman. And I want to tell you, I, there's a moment early on when he's standing there getting suited up and he's got this look on his face like, what am I doing in this movie? Because <laughs> he, I don't think he had a clue what was going on in this thing. He is, if Val Kilmer gets criticized for being wooden in Batman Forever, what is George Clooney in this? Is he a sponge? He's petrified is what he is. (laughs) You know, even then, you could talk about how controversial Michael Keaton was as Batman and how, I don't know if Val Kilmer was really controversial, but George Clooney, when I heard that, I'm like, he's the guy from ER. He does not need to be playing Batman. And it looks like I was right. He didn't need to be playing Batman. I just don't know what in what universe why they picked George Clooney. Well, he had had two. He had been in two films. Okay, he had been in from *Dust Till Dawn*, which was this Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino horror action. It's a little uneven, but it made money. He had been in *One Fine Day* with Michelle Pfeiffer, and then he got cast in this. And I want to say they cast him in this strictly because he was the biggest thing on ER at that point and was a big star. And they wanted to put a they wanted to put a star in there who would also would not mind being billed under Arnold Schwarzenegger or being billed doubled with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Depending on how you look at it, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the lead of this. He gets the first credit, you know. Well, as well he should at that point in his yeah. career versus George Clooney. But I just I just could not get on board. Even back in 1997, I could not get on board with George Clooney as Batman. and He doesn't bring anything to this role. Now, I'm going to say this. He's a bit of a mix as far as uh, body type or physicality, I should say. He's a bit of a mix for physicality between Val Kilmer, who I thought was very athletic and could play the more you know physical side of, of Batman and Bruce Wayne, versus what Michael Keaton is, which is the more unassuming, you would never believe this guy could kick you in the face, and then he does. He's kind of a mix on that in between. But I, 
he again, he brings no characterization to this. It's like he's reading lines and he's in a suit. Mm-hmm. You know, and and the the Bruce Wayne parts are even worse. He's so arrogant and stupid as as Bruce Wayne. It, it never before have you ever felt Bruce Wayne was arrogant. You felt like he was smart. And and even sometimes you felt like maybe he was a little out of touch with reality because of who he is and his status in life. But you never felt like he was a jerk to anybody. Even Edward Nygma, right. who he totally blows off in Batman Forever. He, he's not a jerk. George Clooney is a jerk as, as Bruce Wayne. That is George Clooney's persona. He is just this smart-alecky jerk. I mean... That's just, to me, his persona. And you I don't know if you would agree with me or not, as we were talking about Batman, um, that the Jack Napier was more of Jack Nicholson's persona at that point than the Joker, than this wild and crazy Joker. That some An arrogant jerk is George Clooney's. That's what he plays well. And if you've watched his one of his recent movies, Up in the Air, that's what he is. He's this arrogant he's this arrogant jerk and that's what he plays and that's kind of his type well i i would agree with that that may be his type i want to say that is wrong for this role oh uh, it is it's completely wrong for this role yeah it it is it does not serve well okay not even what the character was in its source material removing all that just for what the character's been built up as in these three films it doesn't service any of it it completely betrays it in some ways you you have no sympathy for this guy it's like at the end of batman forever they decided well he's got all his problems solved so now he's going to be a jerk why 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 would he even keep being batman at that point why would he care Exactly. That's why it should have ended with Batman Forever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can tell a real difference in, in, in portrayal, too. You remember the first time Michael Keaton grabbed a hold of a thug and he's holding him off the side of that building and he says, I'm Batman. It's thrilling and it's suspenseful and you get the feeling like he could just let the dude go. When George Clooney rolls in on Freeze the first time, he's sliding down the ice on the dinosaur at the museum, yes. Anyway, and he looks at him and says, hi, Freeze, I'm Batman. And it's like, I'm Batman, I'm going to sell you insurance now, you know? I've met insurance people that have more personality than this. It's, But it's a complete wrong turn because... What when when Batman says to some criminal, I'm Batman, it's so that they know, oh, you have just stepped in it. You know, mm-hmm. he says that here like you're freeze and I'm Batman. Now let's dance. And then then they do. They go through this stupid hockey scene. It's oh God, it's just ridiculous, you know, and it it, uh, it, it services no one. So George Clooney, I think we're both on the same page. George Clooney eh, on Batman. There had to be a bigger star. And someone who could play this role better than George Clooney in 1997. I mean, I think Brad Pitt in 1997 could have played it better. I'd take anybody over this. But to be fair, there wasn't anything to work with here. Let's go to our other super friend here, Robin Dick Grayson. All right. Chris O'Donnell in that last movie, I praised him for knowing how to balance angst with anger with youth and enthusiasm he he worked well with val kilmer all right he he looked good he looks like he is struggling to get through every scene and he himself has said the third film i felt like we were making a movie yeah it's a comic book movie and it's it's crazy and wacky but i felt like it was a movie there was a story there and you know what he's right 
in this one, he said, Joel Schumacher kept reminding this. Remember, folks, it's a big cartoon. And he said, I think it just threw everybody off and the script was weak and everything just felt weird. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it would have been like for him to try to build chemistry with another actor after having done so much with another one. Or, or I, I don't know that it made a difference. Clooney's performance certainly didn't help it. But Chris O'Donnell as Robin in this, the movie's called Batman and Robin, and all they give him lines to do is complain. Replace his lines with the lines from Attack of the Clones, and you've got the same characterization here. Oh, of Anakin? Yeah, that, that same angsty teenager. But, both movies have the same bad dialogue. They do, and it's, it's the same kind of thing, yeah. We're told about all this stuff they've done together. We don't ever see any of it. And it, again, like I said, there's problems on the bat team. We are T.O. and Donovan. We are not getting along on the field of play. You know, and, and there's – I don't know how they're going to build – they try to build this fracture between them because I guess they realize there's not going to be any drama with the villains in Batman this time, so we got to have drama from within. And I, I thought that was just – it just felt forced. I, that, you know, if there's a relationship in this this story, it's these two, and it feels forced. Chris O'Donnell, acting wise, had the leash and was like, "Okay, here's where we go next. Where we go next. This is what we do next." And Clooney's just like, "What? What? What do I do? What do I do? Oh, I stand here. Oh, okay, okay. You know, it's it seemed like that. It seemed like Chris O'Donnell was just trying to pull stuff out of him, and Clooney's like, "No, thanks." I kind of got that from the dynamic between those two versus the dynamic between Val, Val Kilmer and him. I think you're dead on. I, I don't know if it was the fact that Clooney was shooting this the same time he was shooting ER or if he just didn't care or didn't know what to do. But, yeah, it looked like Chris O'Donnell was trying to drag things out of him that weren't there. Chris O'Donnell's best scenes are with Uma Thurman when he's just completely love puppy for her. Because you could buy <laughs> that, okay? I mean, it's a stupid story, yes, but you could you could get that, okay? And the ones he's given with Alicia Silverstone. And that brings us to our other super friend here, Barbara, Alfred's niece from England, who doesn't even try a British accent. Come on, Dick Van Dyke tried one. Come on, you know, at least try one. But anyway, she's sort of a star at this point. And she comes in and clearly he's he's mm, hubba hubba with her, too. But she's giving him nothing. And then he takes another interest in her when he sees her like racing motorcycles and all this danger stuff. You know, he's like, oh, she'd be kind of a cool friend to hang out with. You know, he's got some chemistry with her. They're fun together. Alicia Silverstone is eh, kind of as an actress. I mean, I've seen her in some stuff I thought she was great in, some stuff I thought she was terrible in. This, she's not given anything to do, so I'm not really to knock on her too much. I, I don't know what her purpose was, except unless they were trying to say the only way these two guys are going to beat Poison Ivy is to have a woman come in and straighten them out. And I guess she was supposed to be the little sister or big sister who comes in and straightens your mess out. I don't know. Well, the problem I had with the Barbara character is... What is Alfred, like 70 years old, 70, 80 years old? Gotta be. You know, isn't Bruce Wayne supposed to be 40, 45, something like that? Roughly, yes. So Alfred's got to be at least 65, 70 years old. Well, how come his niece is like 15? You know, and it's supposed to be his sister's daughter. She She's supposed to be a college student because they play that. Oh, I thought she was supposed to be in high school. No, she's at Oxford. She's in the computer sciences division or whatever, but she's 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 supposed to be like a freshman in college, I think, is what they're playing. Okay, well, that's only three years between a freshman in college and a freshman. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you're yeah. right. It, it ain't much. She's still a teenager. She's not... 
you know, she'd still get carded at the bar. Okay, I think that yeah. I think we both read that. Yeah. Exactly. So saying his sister, even if it's, I, I guess the whole whole age thing, just back to the first Batman when why were were his parents dressed like it was the nineteen twenties? The whole age thing with her, I just couldn't, I just couldn't get or you know and it goes back to characterization they didn't really they have any explain, yeah they didn't explain that or anything but i just when i was watching it when it's one of the first things i felt I'm like whoa 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 this age thing like he really have a niece he might have a great niece that age but and he's really and then it shows the picture of her mom and the picture looks like it was taken in like the 50s yeah and the mom was like 20 something and it and it's like okay, were her parents forty when they had her? What's you know what's the what's the deal with this? And that kind of irked me a little bit about her character. And then the other thing that kind of irked me, and it's not her fault. Her very first line, she's like, "Oh, Uncle Alfred, here I hear share from Clueless," and I'm like, "Okay." Yeah, Alicia Silverstone is is probably always going to be associated with that role in in some ways. And and if you've seen Clueless. That's a it's funny a, movie. It's a good movie. That came out in like 95. So mm-hmm. this is a couple years before that, but she's still riding the clueless wave. You know, at mm-hmm. this point, she's been in a couple other films as different characters at that point, but she's riding that wave. So she's had success. I mean, there's a reason they put her in this. There's no reason at all that they need to put Elle McPherson and Vivica A. Fox in this movie. They shoehorn them in there as semi-love interests to Bruce Wayne and I, the, I guess the sexy assistant to Mr. Freeze. Because, you know, not only does he have a henchman, he's got a secretary, too. Because, uh, you know, yeah, bad, bad guys need organization and tax forms, I guess. I don't know. It's, it. They have no reason to be here at all. Elle McPherson, at one point, is given the task of proposing marriage to George Clooney. Now, you know, I think George Clooney's probably been with a lot of, you know, Hollywood's A-list or whatever and uh-huh. stuff, but... You know, Bruce Wayne ain't turning that down, okay? And and I hated when they're like, when are you going to tie the knot, Bruce? And he goes, uh, marriage, uh, uh, uh. And he starts playing like this stupid, he played Xander off of Buffy the Vampire Slayer for like five seconds there. I said, what are you doing, dude? Bruce Wayne would never get rattled in a no. public place like that. And you know why we know that? We've not seen that in three films. You ever see him get stumped in those other films? Heck no. no. He, if he doesn't have anything to say, he doesn't say anything. Because he don't have to. Because when you own the city, you ain't got to say anything. It's it's, uh, it's Again, those are two people who are stupid and don't serve a purpose in this film. I realize Elle McPherson is playing a character that they're bringing in from the comic books, but nothing to do with what that story is. And she's such a little part of the story, it doesn't even matter. But I think that takes away having him have like a legitimate girlfriend instead of like in the other three movies where Vicky's chasing him and Selena's chasing him and Chase is chasing him. Yeah. He's already got this girlfriend as a love interest and I think that takes away from the movie as well. Oh, totally it does. You're, you're dead on. it Because you don't believe in the relationship because you're not given any reason to. I want to tell you what the relationship is in this movie. It's him and Robin. I think the relationship here is the idea that well, we're not going to give him a romantic relationship. We're going to give him this partnership that he can't deal with. Again, if we go back to this trust issue. You know, that's uh-huh. Chris O'Donnell's whole, like, every line he has pretty much is, when are you going to trust me? When are you going to trust me? And Val Kilmer got onto him and wrote him hard, all right? But he didn't treat him like, a, like an idiot. George Clooney talks at him and talks down to him and it's it's annoying i i just i i really wanted dick grayson to just punch bruce wayne out 
I would believe it if Chris O'Donnell playing that character did that. It was like, you know what? Just bam. I would buy that. I don't, I, you know, I don't so much buy him just sitting there idly buying. I mean, it's, I thought of this too at the first part where they're in the Batcave and they're talking about Mr. Freeze. And of course, Robin is whining about, when are you going to trust me? And Batman's like, I will once you do 10 more hours in the simulator. And it's like me telling my kids, okay, you need to go to time out. Okay, hold on. Hold on. We have a simulator now? What kind of simulator does Batman have? I I want to see the simulator. That'd be more interesting than some of the other stuff. But Batman has a simulator. They didn't elaborate on that. Maybe it would have. You don't know if it's like a simulator for like the boat or the plane or the car or something or the bike or if it's a simulator like you're going to go in and fight Mr. Freeze or something. Yeah, the only thing he screwed up was the hand-to-hand combat. And that's because the dude hit him with a freeze ray. How do you work on that, Bruce? I don't know, but like I said, it's like me telling my kids to go to time out. You know, it's it's so condescending and so stupid. It's just annoying. It's an assault on your senses in a number of ways this movie is. It's an assault on your senses with all the visuals because it is overproduced. I mean, if the last action sequences were kind of taking us out of it, I don't know about you, I was totally out of it when I the, from the first one I'm like we're in a museum that is covered in ice and there's a dinosaur and there's a guy with bad puns and now there are henchmen who look kind of like monkeys but they all got skates on conveniently and hockey sticks and we're going to play hockey with a diamond and now my head hurts I, that that's what I got out of that opening sequence and it didn't get any better it was so stupid you know it's not really an a true action sequence. It's almost like a comedy of errors. It's it's just it's all slapstick. Oh, oh, it is. it is. Well, it's a throwback to the 1960s TV show, the Bam and Pow and the Da Na 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 Na. I mean, that's I was waiting for that to happen. You know, they, they might as well have just thrown it in there. I know, I know, but I got to make my Weekly Family Guy reference with Mayor Adam West. He's the mayor on Family Guy. He's Mayor Adam West, who's the original Batman. I got to make my weekly yeah. Family Guy reference, which actually might improve, would have improved. Maybe they should. Maybe they should have had him play Batman instead of Clooney. It <laughs> might have been at least it would have been truer to character or what we or, have. Or at least maybe have Seth MacFarlane animate the village <laughs> or something. That might have been something. better. I mean, this one is is so off the rails and bad, and the motives are bad too. This is another thing that bothers me, and in, in, especially in superhero movies, is when we got to give the villains like this motive that by itself isn't necessarily so bad. You know, Freeze's whole deal is he gets hurt in an accident at work. He's you know he's a victim of industrial accident. He survives it somehow. His wife gets an incurable disease that he was actually working on, and he wants to cure her. Nobody wants to help him, so he goes on a crime spree to get diamonds to fund the research to keep him alive. Why didn't he just go to Bruce Wayne and go, here's the deal, bro, and Bruce write him a check? Because that's what happens at the end of this movie. Batman pretty much says, I'm going to hook you up, man. And, and that's it, right? So why can't we just have that at the beginning and not have this guy? I mean, it, there's no, this, this is a poor choice of a villain. 
because he's not really a villain. He's he's just a guy in bad circumstances, or that's how he's played. And Poison Ivy is is basically being lied to about what she's working on at work. She gets ill about it. Her boss murders her, and then she goes on a revenge campaign. Well, who blames her? Though she does set a fire in a rainforest, and as an eco-friendly person, I you know I don't think she's holding true to her roots there. That you. No, you're on the right path, and this might be something I totally missed in this, but I thought she was the equivalent of PETA, but for plants, which made no sense. I mean, because, you know, oh, I want to save the animals. I guess that just didn't make sense to me. That sounded like a stupid villain as well. It is a stupid villain. Even reference that in the part where she interrupts Bruce Wayne, you know, after he's being real arrogant about not getting married and stuff, and she interrupts him, and I think maybe it's the gossip colonist or a reporter says... But or I might have been Bruce Wayne, I can't remember, but says that, well, if we just have plants, then we'll die off, so why give you money? And it's like, hello, you know? Yeah. It just made no I, I, I don't know which made less sense. Freeze's backstory or her backstory. Well, her backstory is all screwed up in this and it doesn't even work. It's not even true to the character. It's not interesting at all. Uma Thurman's kind of fun with it but even she can't bring life to this because in its root it's got no point it's stupid and and i want to tell you something i could deal with the fact that freeze was doing research to try to cure his wife we didn't have to give the disease to alfred or maybe we did because they were trying to get george clooney to emote and so that was the only way to do it was we're going to kill your butler oh okay sad you know i mean but it didn't work so i i felt like that was a cheap way to get the audience to buy into, you know what, Batman can't kill Mr. Freeze. He's got to get him turned to the good side. We got to have, got to have Luke turn Vader to the good side. I felt like that's what this movie was trying to do, poorly. In this one, I totally see the disconnect. That oh, I yeah. don't, I don't, I don't see a connection between Bruce and Alfred that I saw, especially in the first two movies, and I don't see in Nolan's incarnation of it. But I totally see a disconnect, which brings the whole plot line to be just as stupid as the villains because there's no connection there like there was with Michael Keaton or even with Val Kilmer. Right. There, there's nothing. He's there to outfit the super friends when they need it. And I realize that's Alfred's role. Okay. He's there uh-huh. as Bruce's confidant. He's his weaponer, all that kind of stuff. Okay. But. He has no other purpose in this one except to introduce Barbara, become really sick, and then ultimately outfit her. And I'll tell you, I I did find it a bit hilarious that she says, suit me up, Uncle Alfred. And he's got one ready to go because, you know, he knew one day Barbara's going to show up and want to fight with the super twins here. So I'll have a suit made for her and blah. And it's exactly the dimension she'll be at that age. You know, I mean, it's again, it's forced, stupid, you know, movie plot stuff. This movie is is beyond insane with where it's going. You know, I got to tell you, the weakest of all of this, though, is the fact that the villains have been given motives that are that are silly and that are weak and that don't really make them villainous. Poison Ivy's pretty villainous. She kills well, she kills her boss. She tried to kill her. So I guess that's that's homage to Catwoman there. We got that. She's um, sexually aggressive. So I guess that's the Chase Meridian. 
You know, uh, I didn't even get a good throwaway line of what happened to her. At least we threw away Vicky Vale and Catwoman in the other two films with a line. We didn't even get a line for Nicole Kidman. And we couldn't get one line. I mean, we got a lot of one lines in this movie. We couldn't get one for her. But anyway, I I felt like, you know, she was supposed to be that, I guess. There's just nothing to make you interested in either side. I didn't care who won the fight. I just wanted it to end, okay? And this one runs as lo- runs longer than the last one. And believe me, it's every bit of 125 minutes. It is long. Oh, it just drags. And it's so, so stupid. It looks stupid. It feels stupid. The acting is stupid. This movie is just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, we've used that word a lot tonight. Yes. Um, but do you think this movie had star power, obviously, and that's what they were going for. Do you think they went for star power because they had to do such a quick turnaround? The studio jumped on this, and I, I wish I knew more of the backstory. It'd be something to actually look into. It's, probably, it's way more interesting than the film. Why they felt the need to run into production with this one. We did Batman in 1989. We did Batman Returns in 92. We did Batman Forever in 95. Why did we feel like we had to come out in 97 with this? What was coming out in 98 that was going to blow everybody away is what I want to know. What did the, the studios at Warner Brothers think? We got we to gotta get on this. We got to jump on it. Because I think you're right. It had star power. It did not have a plot that made any sense. It didn't have anywhere to go after Batman Forever either. So mm-hmm. I don't I, I don't know why they felt the need to rush it when they didn't have anything. I also think that, you, like I said, I think in our first podcast when we talked about Ghostbusters, when Austin Powers, the original one, came out in 97, and it was such a cult hit on video it didn't do too well at the box office but videos did very well and they rushed the second one to come out in 99 and i think we're starting to hit that point in hollywood with studios where they get something good they want it out like they wanted it out like before the first one came out it's where we're we're starting to get in that kind of mentality at this point. And that might be a reason why they rushed it out so soon. Maybe it was the fact that, that Batman returns took longer to put together than maybe they wanted. Didn't bring them what they wanted in terms of returns and stuff like that. They got what they wanted out of Batman forever. And they wanted to strike when they felt like the iron was hot. Now they brought in a big action star for it, Schwarzenegger, and they had to replace Batman. I don't think they, I think the casting choices there were wrong too. But now you do know Patrick Stewart of, of Star Trek The Next Generation fame was in the running for Mr. Freeze. Oh, he would have been much better. Well, I don't know. With these lines, maybe it would have been delivered better. I don't know that he could have done much better with it. But that goes back to my question I asked earlier. Do you think it's the, it's the dialogue so bad the actors can't do anything good with it? Or do you think the actors are bad and the dialogue's bad? I mean, do you think it's the dialogue affecting the actors or the actors affecting the dialogue? Here's my answer to that. It it is a script problem, by and large. Now, Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't need to do much more than deliver lines and do action. He needs good lines. George Clooney needed some direction and a better script. Chris O'Donnell needed a better co-star. Uma Thurman needed a point and a place to go. They needed something here to work with. We, we complained a lot about the actors and the characterization in, in this podcast, and fairly so, I think. 
but I want to lay some heavy blame on the script. Written by people who know what they're doing, by the way. You know, this isn't people who don't know what they're doing, but I feel like there is an influence in this based on we've got to get it out so fast that there's just there's no characterization. There's no meat to it. Even in Batman Forever, where the characterization is on speed dial, you get where these people are going and where they're coming from. This movie, you don't. And they don't want you to. Because if you pay attention to it, you'll start to realize that this really doesn't need to be happening. None of what we're seeing needs to be. And I think that goes back to that there was nowhere else for the script to go once Batman Forever ended. It should have ended with that. That that wrapped all three of them. Despite what you say about Schumacher, he wrapped all three of them, his and Burton's up in a nice little bow and delivered. And there was no point in greenlining a fourth movie. I agree. And to that point, he has said in multiple interviews, anybody went into that coming off of expectations from Batman Forever and you were disappointed in it, I sincerely apologize because that's not what I intended to do. I just intended to entertain you. Even he knows this thing is bad and acknowledges it as such. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there's much more we can say about it. No, there's not. There's really not. Do I even have to ask your play recommendation for Batman and Robin? Never play. Just end it. Watch Batman Forever once. End it. It wraps it up in a nice little bow. You're, You're satisfied. This has no plot, no story. There's nothing for the actors to work with. The only thing it's got going for it is star power. That's it. And, you know, if you want to see Alicia Silverstone and Chris O'Donnell in their heyday, I still don't recommend watching it. No, bet there are better films to do that with. Yeah, go watch Clueless and, something, and Batman Forever or something. Don't watch. Don't watch this. This is just something that the it, the celluloid it was made on needs to be burned. Well, I'm going to take that tip from you then, and I'm going to give this the burn it rating. <laughs> There's nothing you need. There's nothing accomplished. And as a matter of fact, all we do is unravel every bit of good that we've built at this point in the Batman franchise. When the director says that, the stars say that, George Clooney has said, I think we killed the franchise. Uh, and this is before they started redoing them with Chris Nolan. O'Donnell said it. Uh, they all knew it was bad when they were making it. They knew it was bad after. And in the long run, they've all seen it go bad. It made its money back. It made people money. But it was it was bad. This is a burn it all the way. Skip it. Forget this film, folks. It is not worth your time. If you have not seen it and by chance you've listened to us rail about it, I, I can almost promise you we are more entertaining than you will get out of this movie. It's not worth even seeing once because it's bad. It is It is not does not need to exist burn it burn batman and robin well we've got two more chapters to go in our batman retrospective franchise and join us again next time when anna and i review the first in the chris nolan ventures into batman world batman begins for anna i'm jay thanks for tuning in to continuous play Thank you for listening to Continuous Play's Batman series. Check out our website, www.continuousplaypodcast.com, for other entries in the series and other retrospectives. Continuous Play and Continuous Play Podcasts are not affiliated with any movie, television, book, music, or publishing-related company. All properties are copyright and trademark of their respective owners. Any discussion of the characters, plots, or music from the films is strictly for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. Thank you.